Isn't that good? What a lovely little fitting end note to that. What a great story there. Um, we're going to be looking into the Bible together and into God's Word. And I've got, I believe I've got a word for everybody here today. And it links in a little bit with the baptisms. Um, and, and Nat didn't know I was going to be speaking on this. But I want to talk about the topic of grace today. Um, there we go. Um, and that's just, it's, we, we're doing a little series at the moment. This is the last session before we get into, it's Christmas, by the way, you may have noticed. Um, Christmas is coming, and that, this is our last set on this, this kind of series of looking at reset, resetting our attitudes and our thinkings about certain things. And, and today I wanted to talk about the word grace. And grace is one of those words which has multiple meanings. And I want to look at it in a particular meaning, but just to help us into this, I think we're ve- fairly familiar with this. I, I don't watch, though there's nothing wrong with those who do, and don't watch programs like Strictly Come Dancing on Ice or whatever. Yeah, those, those ones. And uh, cause, mainly because I don't dance. And it's not I've got anything wrong against dancing. I just don't. Um, I think potentially, theoretically, I might have the ability, but it's never yet manifested itself. Uh, and so one day, maybe it will happen. But people on those kind of programs could be described as graceful or elegant. And it's linked to this sense of elegance. Uh, some of you may get, will go home later. If you don't, I'll still be here as well. But hopefully we'll all go home later. And you'll have a meal. And some, many families will say grace before the meal. You'll say thank you to God for what you have in front of you, whether it's a lot or a little, whether it's you had the same yesterday, uh, and whether you've got the same tomorrow, you'll still stop and say thank you to God for what you have in front of you. Uh, we use this word grace quite a bit in that way. You might use it as a title. You might refer to someone as your grace uh, if they're particularly high and mighty. We also understand a little bit more of the concept I'm talking about today when we come into talking about something like a grace period. You've probably all done this. You park the car, you go shopping, you kind of sort out the meter and you know you've got an hour or maybe two and you kind of mark the time. And you know you get a bit distracted when you're out. You know, the coffee's particularly good and you get in a queue at the shops and you chatted to somebody and time runs on a bit and suddenly you realize that time's up and your car's due. And, and you rush back to the car park and you know you're over time. And you've probably all been in this situation and you're hoping for something of that grace period where there's a few minutes that you try and claim, don't you? You say, this is, this is, I expect to be forgiven a few minutes. And, and most of us get back and we discover that the car's fine and five minutes have gone by and we're okay. And, and sometimes you get back and someone's done something to the car, put a ticket on or something, and you, and you can, might feel a bit outraged. But I was only for five minutes. But you know you've got no right to argue because time's up. And you've had your moment, you've paid your money, and you're into overtime. And you've got no right, but still there's this sense of grace where we expect some grace from other people for that little period of time. That's the kind of thing a little bit I'm talking about today. And I'm not sure we're very good with grace. I think grace is one of those things that we expect from others, we give to ourselves, and we're less good at offering to other people. Grace is one of those things we expect from others, we give to ourselves, and we're less good at offering to other people. Think about the people who offend you or have offended you at certain times. And social media is a wonderful way of following who's offended by who, because everybody seems to be offended by everybody. Um, But if someone offends you, what you tend to do is maybe you'll confront them or probably you'll mention it to somebody else. But generally, we don't offer grace to people. And the stories you've been hearing today 
from three people are stories of grace. From Chris, first, then Anushi, then Josh. They're telling their own story of God's grace in their lives. And I want to look at one incident that happened in Jesus' life. One story, one moment. And it's a fairly familiar story. I think everybody will have heard some of this before. Um, But I think I've got something to share with all of us. Jesus was somebody who was full of grace. He demonstrated grace. And there was a, a moment in his life when, it was a repeated moment, actually, he did this quite a lot, when he, he met with people, he hung out with people that weren't the nicest of people. There was times when Jesus would hang out with the wrong crowd and, and he would have meals with the wrong crowd and he'd spend time with them and the religious people would, would look and say, how can you be doing this? They're the wrong crowd. And there's one occasion like this in Luke 15 where Jesus is hanging out with some sinners, some tax collectors, some people that, and the tax collectors wasn't the problem that they were collecting taxes, they were corrupt as well. And some people who were downright sinful, and Jesus is eating meals with these people, and the religious people are looking and saying, how dare you? How can you eat with these people? Don't you know what's going on in their lives? And, and Jesus tells three stories. And I want to look at a bit of one of them. He tells three stories about things that were lost. And he talks about three things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And I want to talk about a little bit of the lost son story that Jesus tells. It's a famous story. If you haven't heard it, I'll give you a little pricey of it. But the story goes like this, that there was a man who had two sons. There was a younger one and an older one, obviously. And the younger one said to his father, Father, I want my share of the inheritance now. Basically, I wish you were dead, and I want what I'm going to get when you are dead. So can I have my bit now? He's a younger son. He would have had a third of the estate coming his way. The older son would have got two-thirds, younger son a third. So that's the deal. That's how it works. So he's asking for a third of his father's estate there and then. He gets the money. Father says, okay, here you go. Somehow he liquidates some assets or he, he borrows some money. I'm not quite sure, but the father gives him the money. And the young son takes this takes this good upbringing, good inheritance, and he goes off and he squanders it. And he goes away to a far country, the Bible says, in this story Jesus is telling. And he goes and he spends his money and he wastes it. And he gets to a point where he's run out of friends and he's run out of money and he's down on his luck and he's got nothing else left. And he's had to, as a Jewish man, get a job working for a farmer feeding the pigs. Now, Jewish people don't eat pork and they don't go near pigs and so this is the ultimate in 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 kind of grotty situations for this young man he really is down on his luck everything's just he's blown it he's blown it with his family he's blown it with his friends he he bought friends basically because he was popular when he had money and he's got nothing left at all now and jesus is telling this story and you can imagine the response of the hearers Try and get, we're going to try and get into that mind of the people listening to him because Jesus is telling it with a point. He's telling it in response to being challenged about the people he's hanging out with. You see, this story is outrageous for several reasons. It's outrageous because a younger son would never ask their father for their inheritance. It is like saying, I wish you were dead. And this is a culture where respect for your elders and respect for your parents is built in. This is pretty rough stuff. It's outrageous because not only this, but this guy's now gone to feed the pigs and he shouldn't be doing that either it's outrageous because he he not only took a third of his that money not only took his whole inheritance but he squandered it and again it's a culture where you took possession you treated possessions carefully so he's 
done something he shouldn't do and then he's done another thing he shouldn't do and he's ended up in a situation he shouldn't be in. And he's cut off. And as he's listening to this story, interestingly, there's another story from around the second century, after, a bit after Jesus, in Jewish culture, that is similar to this, but it has a different ending. And the Jewish listeners of this story would have been listening for what they would have expected at this point, which is for the son to get what he deserves. You ask the father for something you shouldn't ask for, you do something you shouldn't do, you end up in a mess, they're, ending, they're waiting for thee, and it serves him right. But that is not what happens. I'm going to read a few verses from this passage to see what actually happens. This is, Jesus picks this story up when the son has come to his senses, he's just in a mess, he's realized how difficult life is, and it says this, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. It was a moment when that son had to do a very hard thing and that was to realize the mess he was in and do something about it. He could have stayed in the mess and tried to just keep on going in the mess and that's the situation that many of us have been in. But he got to a place of saying, I can't do this anymore. And he did a very brave thing which was get up and walk towards his father and we see this incredible picture this Jesus is telling a story and a sort of reflecting God the father and his love for us and how how we are kind of in the muck and and this story is incredible because Jesus shows the father running to the younger son I don't know if you noticed this top line it says that he ran to his son threw his arms around arms around him and kissed him Josh described a story his own story earlier when his son leapt from halfway down the stairs hoping that Josh would catch him In this story, the father is running to the son. Now, we've had a couple of outrages already, but this would have been outrageous for the hearers of this story. Civilized, decent men did not run in this society. You didn't run anywhere. To do so would have meant picking up your skirts, because men were wearing kind of big robes, picking them up and and running. It was an ungainly, undignified method of transport. You, You can't imagine the queen and Prince Philip having a little jog, can you? You know, if they, if they see William or one of the grandchildren or great-grandchildren, sorry, coming, you know, pick up the skirt and off you go, delighted to see you. It's not an image you have. And in this culture, similarly, this is not a done thing. It's outrageous. And God the Father is pictured as, like this Father, running, running to the Son. The Son who has wished him dead. The Son who's spent all his inheritance. The Son who's blown it again and again. The father has no other plan 
other than to offer grace. That's his only agenda. He's running to offer grace. Somebody said this, Christianity does not begin with what people should do to be saved, but what God has done to save them. You know, Jesus kept meeting with the wrong kind of people and eating with the wrong crowd and hanging out with them. He did it again and again and again. Why? Because God runs to offer grace. There's a lovely verse, very familiar to some. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Again and again, God offers grace. The best time he does it, the biggest time he does it is by sending Jesus for us. He offers messy grace to people that you and I wouldn't offer grace to. To people who've messed up in ways that we can't imagine messing up in. I love when Anushi said, I, looking back on her story, said, I, I did all those things. Well, not all of them, some of them. Because she was suddenly realizing that to do all those things would be put her in a category that she didn't want to be in. But God offers grace even to those people who are in that category you wouldn't want to be in, who've done all of it. And he offers grace again and again and again. Captivating, messy grace. This grace enables reconciliation with God. At this moment where the father embraces the son and he puts his arms around him and he kisses him. A welcome, a welcome home, a welcome return to relationship. I just want to say this, only the Father can bring reconciliation. Josh spoke earlier about forgiving. There was nobody else who could forgive his cousin for him. Only he could do that. And in this story, only the Father can bring reconciliation to the Son. The other brother could speak kindly to him. The servants could welcome him home. But there's only one person who can make it okay. And that's the Father. And in our lives, there's one who's God, the Father, that we need to put things right with, and we can't do that by ourselves. He does by loving grace, by coming to meet with us, by saying, I embrace you. Welcome home. There's a relationship that needs restoring, and only God can make that okay. This is a, a really key point I want to make. Grace is better than you think. Now, you might be thinking it's good so far, but the story gets better. Not only is there a hug from the father and these, these kisses, not only has the father run and picked up his skirts and run towards him and all this kind of stuff, the son, the son through the whole of this time, I'm actually going to go back to the screen so you can read it. The son through the whole of this time has been practicing a speech. He, he starts off at the top, how many of my hi, hi, father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Here's a little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And this is the story. This is a little mantra that he recites. He, he kind of gets his wording. Have you ever done this? You've had a difficult phone call to make and you practice the words before you pick up the phone and then it all goes wrong because you phone the Chinese takeaway instead and you have to start all over again. You know, that kind of thing where, where you just practice and you want to get it right and, and you're nervous and he's practiced and he's got to get it right and he's in the moment. And Father, I've sinned against you. Make me like one of your hides. Father, I've sinned. And he's journeying back towards the Father. And the Father embraces him and he kisses him. And this is what happens. The son gets his little speech out. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know what? The father doesn't say anything to the son. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say, it's okay, son. You're home now. 
doesn't say a word. He speaks to the servants. He speaks to the servants and says, quick, quick, hurry. Bring the best robe. The best robe, my finest robe. There's only one finest robe. There's only one person who wears it, and it's the dad. Bring the best one and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let's get the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a celebration. Now, the celebration is a big celebration. The fattened calf would feed the village, so he's probably inviting the whole village to celebrate because the son is home. The robe. There's key times in the Bible where it talks about changing your garments, taking off your dirty clothes. We took off some wet ones earlier. They weren't dirty, they were just wet. And we put new clothes on. And there's times in the Bible when when the Bible speaks about exchanging dirty garments and putting on a royal robe or a clean robe. And this is the image that we're seeing in this story here where honor and dignity is being restored, where the father's robe is put on the son, a new garment. The, the ring is given, and, and I imagine uh, it's, it is just a parable. It's just a story to make a point, but it's possible that Jesus is telling the story and they're imagining a signet ring being put on with a seal on it, you know? It could just be a ring, but I think it's a ring of belonging. It speaks of ownership and belonging. It also speaks of trust because the person with the signet ring on can approve things in the name of the father because he's got authority, because he can put his his mark in the seal. So I think the Father's saying, you're not only restored back to a position of honor, but you're also trusted. I wouldn't have trusted him with anything. If I was there, I'd have been looking at him very shiftily, but the Father's restoring him and giving him honor, and he's welcoming back. And then finally, the sandals are put on him. And this is a mark of sonship because sandals aren't worn by sons. Sorry, sandals are worn by sons. Servants and slaves walk around bare feet, barefooted. So the son is given sandals because he's a son and he's welcomed back. Do you know that? I said the father doesn't speak to the son and he doesn't, but he doesn't deny anything the son said either because the son is right in every single thing he said. He sinned against heaven and he sinned against his dad and he's not worthy to be called his son. The father doesn't deny that. He doesn't contradict him because it's actually true. And the same was true for me and is true for you that we don't deserve the love of the father. But the amazing thing is that he runs towards us, that he offers reconciliation and he gives us grace that is better than we think. It's better than we think because he sets us up for a new life. The Bible says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And Paul writing this gives a whole list of stuff that people do wrong. Some of us are in that category or would have been in that category. And he then writes this, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of the living God. God makes us better than we were before he doesn't just save us and rescue us but he invites us into a place where we're cleaned up and made right and made holy finally grace stays i just was captivated by this thought that the son at this point remains at home 
He doesn't go away again and come back again and go away again. And come. He just remains in a place of grace with the Father. I guess he takes the robe off at some point. I guess he changes his sandals from time to time, but he remains in a place of grace. I wonder for those of us who've been baptized some years before, maybe this was our story, we're telling our story, we get baptized, we move on. If perhaps sometimes we, we lose the thought that we stay in grace, that we remain in a place of grace. Uh, there's a, a lovely verse in Romans chapter 5. It says this, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege in which we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's a lovely verse, isn't it? The time when Jesus takes a little child and stands him in front of the crowd and says, become like one of these. Become like one of these kids if you want to know my Father in heaven. It says he took a child and had him stand amongst them. And the word stand refers not so much to the position like I'm in now, but it refers to the fact that he put him in the place. He put him in place. Uh, And this is what this passage is referring to here. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. It's not that we literally stand up, but we remain in a place of undeserved privilege. That's where you and I can live and remain and stay. I wonder if today we will say yes to grace. Yes to the grace of God that's offered again and again and again. You see, it may be that this was your story some years ago, and like the word from Nat earlier, something's happened and you need to get forgiven by God again. You need to experience God's grace again. You don't need to get wet again in this way, but you need to know that God's offering grace today because you've been brought into a place of grace, a place where you need to live out that grace and live as one who has been rescued. Grace isn't an invitation to live as you want. That's why we need to stand in it. It's an invitation to live as a child of God, as one saved by grace, to be like the Father, to live like him. If you want to say yes today, you can do. You can say yes to grace. If you want to say yes to the f- for the first time and say, God, I want you in my life, you can do. This is powerful stuff that we're talking about here. This grace is messy. We're not perfect. It's humbling. But there's something powerful that's searching out our lives. It's God's love. It's God himself who's searching for us. I came across, um, I want to finish with this. came across a song recently. It's not the sort of music I'd normally listen to, but it was one I came across. And this is a guy called Stormzy, who you may have come across this song, some of you. Um, and we've got a video clip about this youngish guy, young to me anyway, I'm old now. Um, youngish guy who's singing... He's a grime artist, if that means anything to you. Yeah, a couple of people nodding, a couple of people going, what? Um, and it's just, it just touched me because this, is, this isn't a perfect guy. This isn't a, I wouldn't recommend his album. Um, the lyrics on, on it have parental advisory notices on, okay? So it, it's not, I'm not, this isn't an endorsement. But there's just something that God's doing where he's coming looking for you and looking for me. And I want to finish with this. Alan, can we play that video? 
You should have some sound barrier as well for this. One. Some Radio One, the live lounge. Yeah. Radio One live lounge. Gang signs and prayer. You may not get all the words, but yeah. get the feel of it. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace, by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your Lord, I've been broken. Though I'm not worthy, you fix me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. Lord, I've been broken. One time for the Lord, and one time for the cause, and one round of applause, one time for Fraser T. Smith for the cause. I thought we got one, I stay prayed up, then I get the job done. Yeah, I'm Abigail's youth, but I'm God's son, but I'm up now, look at what God's done. Now I'm real tall, look at what God did. On the main stage, running round topless. I phone flips, then I tell him that we got this. This is God's plan, they can never stop this. Like, wait right there, could you stop my verse? Save this kid and I'm not your first. It's not by blood, it's not by birth. But oh my god, what a god I serve. Whoa. shall we?
And it may be that today you, come, you came in here not sure what you'd expect. But as you've listened to the stories, you know today you need the same grace in your life that you've been hearing about today. I want to pray for you today. Maybe that you came in knowing what you were expecting because you've been here many times before. But equally, you need God's grace today in a new way. And I pray for you too today. Father, I thank you that your grace reaches us because you are reaching us. Because you are running toward us to show us your grace, to show us your love. I thank you, Lord, that when we speak with our little prepared speech of, of what's right and wrong and what you, what we, where we are and our faults and failings like that, Father, in the story, you have already thrown your arms around us and you've kissed us and you've welcomed us and you restore. So better than we had before. And God, we don't deserve it. The younger son was right. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your grace. But we thank you, Lord, that you give it anyway. And God, I pray for us that we would be able to ask you for your forgiveness. When we're in that place like the younger son, I pray, Lord, across this room that we wouldn't stay with feeding the pigs, but we would turn and come home to you. God, I pray for anybody here who knows they need to turn and come home, that they would come to you and find forgiveness and find your grace in Jesus' name.